When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Topical Empire, Nine Overtimes. Yes, ha, yes. Sicko's Game of the Decade candidate. And also other things happened, but did you really watch them? No, you didn't. Ha, ha, yes. Your source for Big Gang Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Toggle Empire, the only college football podcast with the uh, pleasant thickness to keep you warm during these falls turning into winter months when, you know, when, when the skinny boys are just not going to keep you warm at night. You're going to need the warm embrace of the Off Toggle Empire podcast and all of the Big Ten things that we cover here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Once again... We are noted sickos, uh, Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpsaurus, with Andrew Koscheski, and uh, we're here to talk about Big Ten football. And this week, there's really only one thing to talk about. We'll get to everything else, I guess, eventually at some point, but... Well, I'm going to crack and pour yeah. a win fight try Brewster of the Week, and this is by Pigeon Hill Brewing Company in Muskegon, and it is cinnamon on French toast, and I'm not going to lie about what this is. It is a barrel-aged imperial stout. Now look, the craft beer scene's been around for a while. I get that the hip, sexy thing is always going to be these West Coast IPAs. Now you have these New England-style IPAs. I don't get in the middle of that rat beef at all because you know what? Out here in Michigan, out here in the heartland, what we're known for is this very thick, very rich and fattening uh, and very decadent style of beer. Now look, it takes you longer to finish. It's, uh, it doesn't pour a, a crisp golden color. It usually just has this very black, very thick opacity to it. It can be a struggle to get through. Yep, it can be a struggle. It really can. Uh, but you know what? It's what we do here, okay? So maybe you, maybe you, you, you West Coast or Southeast, I don't even know if they have craft beer in the Southeast. I'm sure they do. It's well, just North Carolina's got a pretty good beer scene. <laughs> no, no, I know they do. But point is, what we're known for in Michigan is this kind of thing. You may not like it, but this is what ideal male performance looks like. Is it? All right. There you go. Top that off. And let us wait no further then to get into the Sickos game, perhaps of the decade, certainly of the year. That would be Illinois 20, Penn State 18, in nine overtimes. Nine overtimes? Nine overtimes. There are, to me, between three and four angles to talk about here. There is... is that real? Oh, there are plenty more, but go ahead. There is, one, what Illinois did. Two, 
what Penn State allowed to happen, three, how funny this was, and four, how funny this was. And five, how funny this was. I had to write, so when I'm able to be in the house watching college football on a Saturday as I was most of the day yesterday, I try to get started and kind of write down impressions on some of the games as they're happening, especially in the noon slate. And I had to change the thing on this like five times because the, the, ga- <laughs> the game kept going. By the time it was over, it was it was on ABC, and it was supposed to roll over into the game day game, which was LSU, or LSU, UCLA, Oregon. Some of the letters are the same, and you can see how it confused those two schools. Very similar places, LSU and UCLA. Uh, but by the time this game was over and they switched over to it, they were at they're at the end of the first quarter, and so that was the <laughs> break where Fowler and Herb Street had to set up the game and kind of explain, oh yeah, this is what happened in the the entire first quarter that the national audience missed as the game day broadcast was kicked over at ESPN News. So I thought that was an amusing one. So yeah. let's. So I guess, because we we also didn't mention when we introduced this Illinois. Two and five Illinois, twenty number seven Penn State. Yeah, uh, at home. So, if I may, before you get into it, I think there's basically two entirely separate parts to this game, which is what happened in regulation and then the overtime. Yes, part. absolutely. Yeah, because really Illinois, if you look at the stats and you look at just the way the game flow went, Illinois probably should have won this game in regulation by two the, scores. Yeah, and the biggest reason they didn't is because the quarterback play is so terrible. Yeah, uh, and that's and it's great that they managed to make a big statement win while still allowing me to complain about having the worst quarterback play probably in the country because Art Sitkowski was remarkably ineffective and yet at no point were you thinking we really need to go to the backup right because you knew what that well, would mean. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean because I knew that they were never going to put in a quarterback with wheels because that's just antithetical to everything that Brett Bielema wants to do. Although, did see Ryan Johnson warming up on the sideline at some point, but I have no idea what he's capable of. He must just be around for comic relief if he can't get any snaps over Peters and Sitkowski. But uh, both of these teams had bye weeks last week, and my take in the aftermath of the Wisconsin game for Illinois was uh, I get that it was a daunting challenge, but why didn't we try to run the ball? We know that we're good at that. We know that we're terrible at passing the ball. So we're going to fail at passing the ball against everybody. So we should at least, even if we're doomed to fail, try running the ball a bit. If for no other reason than because running the ball will shorten the game and lessen the pressure on your defense, which, exactly. held, which, held, which held up to Wisconsin for a while. Because that's, that's what I was saying. I was saying the only way we beat Wisconsin is we shorten the game and, you know, just one play, one weird turnover that Illinois has been remarkably good at. Or, Ch- or Chase Brown breaks a run, which, yeah. you know. Something happens and that's, and, and all of a sudden it's a one-score game or it's a tie game or something. I was wondering, why didn't we do that? But, you know, I don't think I'm a savant or anything, but it was an obvious question, right? Having the reigning Big Ten player of the week get eight carries. And it looks like during the bye week, Brett Bielema went, hey, why didn't we run the ball against Wisconsin? <laughs> That's the same question that all of us did. And they came out basically doing what I thought they should have done against Wisconsin, which is to, hey, even if we're not having any success down to down, all that's going to happen if we try to throw the ball is bad things. 
but they ran the ball really well. I guess Brett Bielema didn't lose the locker room when he talked about the uh, the offensive line uh, depth chart situation. Got uh, got ripped by zombie deadspin of all things for that. Yeah, and you mentioned it's so Illinois ran for over 350 yards. And yeah, there were overtimes in this, but keep in mind, after two overtimes, there are no more yards added, really, because you go back, you go to the alternating two-point thing. So yeah, there's a few extra yards that would have come in in the overtime sessions, but to run for 350 yards, and that's with Art Sikowski taking four sacks on 19 pass attempts. So um, that they got this kind of rushing production and had so much trouble putting it in the end zone tells you that, yeah, because the, uh, the air attack was so impotent Penn State's able to absolutely cram the box in the red zone and deny the run game and Illinois through the air had no answer for that it's part, again, it's part of the reason that this game went so long in the overtime sessions is because for whatever reason for like the first seven over well, like so again there's the first two overtimes which are more normal games and then once we got into the two points Illinois threw it like the first five or six of those attempts and You've got, like, Dan Orlovsky in the booth being like, yeah, I think you got to put the ball in the hands of the quarterback and throw it here. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, and the thing is Penn State knew that Illinois was going to try to run it because why would you try to do anything else? I mean, and the crazy thing is that Illinois was not wrong to do everything they could to limit the opportunity of their quarterback uh, because if you told me that they got nearly 400 yards and they passed for less than 40, I would have said... That that's not surprising at all. In fact, at the end of the game, what with a tie game situation, they got the ball back because Penn State, of course, playing for overtime at home against two and five Illinois, um, which we'll get to the Penn State angle in a second here. But yeah, um, oh, we're coming. You know, I- Illinois, in my opinion, very smart. I mean, usually I want you to, I want the coaches to be aggressive here, but I also understand there is no quarterback maybe that I've ever seen, more likely to lose you the game right here than Art Sitkowski from his own three. <laughs> and so on the first snap, I think he uh, fakes a handoff and runs back into the end zone. <laughs> but, but yeah, they ran, they ran it like 11 times during this. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's an actual number, but they, 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 try, they, they got in nearly into field goal range just by running the ball. Yeah. Which, I mean... Shows an, um, uh, an incredible amount of awareness because you usually don't want to accept the fact that your quarterback is way more likely to lose the game for you than he is to make a good play. But that's kind of what we're dealing with here. That's Yeah, and there's just, I mean, you go, you go up and down this box score and there are just, there, there's no, and it's like watching a classic old movie. And every time you see it, it's like, oh, man, there, there's another little detail or nuance I never know. It's like watching, like, a Jurassic Park or a Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. Yeah. And every time you go back to it, you see something else like, oh, wow, that's what, like... At the end of the day, though, what happened was that both the Fighting Illini coordinators, everybody involved in this game plan, had, by a wide margin, their best day as a line. I mean, Tony Peterson uh, really redeemed himself. Of course, Ryan Walters has been has been the standard bearer all year. He's been doing some really great work outside of the Virginia game. Virginia and um, UTSA, which, UTSA, again, the UTSA yeah. game ages better by the week, by the way, as they're still but, undefeated. But he's been doing fantastic work, and you saw, you know, even though Illinois turned it over three times, one in in, in their own territory, uh, Penn State didn't do very much with those yeah. at all. They scored 10 points in regulation, and, and Ryan a, Walters yeah. was... 
So basically, what this boils down to is, uh, I said this in Sunday morning coming down, you think of what would a good Brett Bielema Illinois team look like someday that we would have, right? Uh, it would be one that runs the ball pretty relentlessly, um, that also you just make fun of because the quarterback, the quarterback play is terrible. Uh, and doesn't give up explosive plays on defense because then, you know, it just wants to shorten the game there, yeah. right, in, yeah. in every way. Kind of, it, it's, it's a bit like Kirk Ferentz, but with slight variations um, on exactly what avenue they take to try to do these things. Yeah, it's, it's Ferentz ball, but just running more man instead of zone. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and this is, this is what they did. I mean, what more of a statement can you make as Brett Bielema about your Illinois program than getting a big win over a top 10 team on the road while setting the record, all-time record for rushing attempts in a fighting Illini game uh, when you consider that we used to have Howard Griffith uh, in Lou Tepper's offense where he didn't understand the point of the quarterback, right? The fact that the Lou Tepper era came and went and never put up as many rushing attempts in a game as this. Yeah, well, I mean, think, think even more recently where this is, again, more rushing attempts than you had with Mikel LaShore or Richard Mendenhall. Like, there have been some recent incredible running attacks that have not produced anything like this. And so mammoth games from Chase Brown and Josh McRae, um, I mean, either of them would have been a decent candidate for Big Ten player. Like, I think Chase Brown's an obvious candidate for Big Ten Player of the Week. Even 223 with yards on 33 carries for... And not it's, only is that a great line, but again, when you think of the upside, what would it look like if Brett Bielema's Illinois was good? Yeah. 33 carries for 223 yards. With another running back getting over 20 carries. <laughs> and it's not like there were a couple of home run balls in there that dragged the average up. The long play from him on the day was 27. And McCray had one of twenty-eight. So this is I can't say enough about what an incredible statement this was, and it just totally changes everything for me because this would be compared to the win against Wisconsin a couple years ago. Nothing like that. This was one on the road, two much more dominant. Uh, Illinois didn't trail by two scores for most of this game. Three. This is year one, not year four. Yeah. And I get that it's been a long year as things have come and gone, and Brett Bielma did admittedly do things that contributed to losing two games, but uh, this more than makes up for it. This more than makes up for both the Maryland and the Purdue thing because we're we're almost certainly not going bowling. It's about perception now. It's about what can you sell to get. So now you can sell to all these, you know, linemen you're trying to recruit to the future. Hey, you know. You want to run more hockey. You want to run more hockey. You want to play some Big Ten bully. You want to play some big, fat, Big Ten bully ball. Well, come here, kid. I'm going to get you in here. And, uh, I mean, did you see all the times they came out with seven offensive linemen? <laughs> yeah, lots. It was, it, it, I, I mean, I don't remember if we actually said this on the pod or if it was just something I said in jest to you. But I was like, you know, at what point with how bad this passing game looks especially, does Bielema just consider bringing back that barge formation they used to use when they had, you know, Clay and Ball and all those guys? And it, like, they, they did it! They basically, yeah, basically did it! Did. So, uh, and that worked, yeah. And, and an incredible uh, performance on defense also from uh, Tariq Barnes was everywhere, Devin Witherspoon had a couple of tackles for loss very late in the game. Um, 
All really yeah, all across all game. all across the secondary in the back seven. Illinois had guys outside of one specific drive where Jahan Dotson stole their lunch money. Yeah, well, and then yet they had. I mean, the only touchdown Penn State score. Really, the only success they had on offense was Lambert Smith getting a slant, shaking his guy, and then because of the way the defense was, I think the safety might have blown the read on that play too. Because he safety, was safety he was kind of he was got toasted yeah. so hard that he just he just did one of those ah. You know, shit. I get him next time. Yeah, just pulled up. So, giving Illinois a lot of credit. Now let's talk about what went wrong for Penn State here, because Sean Clifford, I do not think was anywhere near a hundred percent. No, he's obviously still hurt, and so there's a lot of criticism and scrutiny that should be aimed at James Franklin here, because he in the Iowa game he was injured enough that he had to come out before halftime, couldn't go back in. They had a bye week to evaluate him, watch what he looked like on the field. And they decided, yeah, Clifford at probably something less than 50% is definitely our best option here. This reminds me powerfully of Michigan State sending Brian Lewerke back into the game when he was obviously hurt. And they got murdered by Michigan because he couldn't throw the ball. And afterwards, D'Antonio's answer was, well, we basically leave it up to the player. It's like, what are you talking about? And I I didn't hear any comments from Franklin after this game. I don't know what his rationale is going to be for sending... Clifford back in, but either you miss a pre, you un, you didn't appreciate the extent of his injury, or despite him being healthy enough to play, this is still what you got. Like there's there's no circumstance here where Franklin comes out looking good and, and or, mis- or or you or you and I think there was a little element of this. You probably didn't, didn't think, think yeah. you were going to probably need didn't it. think you were going to need a full effort from the passing game, yeah. which is fair, except at some point you have to look at the clock, look at the score, and realize, hey, we really need to put this game away. And there's also the fact that it, it would it would be a big oversight here, because it's, it's not like Illinois', Illinois defense for a month has been good now. They, yeah. it, it's This is not some Rutgers or Maryland game where you can expect to just roll the helmets out, run the ball 50 times, and be good. And I'll, the other thing here is, remember, Penn State's run game has not been good this not, year. At, in, at, in any juncture, have they been good? And they have needed, Illinois has been yeah. decent against the run. I mean, outside of the Virginia game, and just some individual... I mean, they had one very bad drive in this game, but just one. Uh, they really have tightened up a lot and done a lot to limit explosive plays against Maryland and Purdue. And even, and even the couple of big plays that Penn State did hit were really more about the receivers making individual outstanding plays. Well, than, I mean, in that really bad drive... Clifford basically threw an interception that uh, Jahan Dotson went up and stole from Jartavis Martin. Yeah. I mean, he threw an arm punt. And here's the other thing that's got to be said, which, look, when you score 18 points in nine overtimes, defense is generally going to be towards the back of the line for concerns. But Penn State's linebackers were pretty damn bad in run defense today, which is a weird thing to say because Brooks and Smith and Lucetta have been really good all season. But they were not shedding blocks. They were missing their run fits. And so you've got, I mean, let me scroll. And again, knowing that the box score isn't necessarily correct here. I mean, you've got Joey Porter making nine tackles. Brisker had to make eight. Like, the running backs for Illinois were getting into the secondary a lot. Yeah, there were an awful lot of tackles by defensive backs. And, and yes, I get the other team always is always trying to. But this is an offensive line for Illinois that had really struggled in making second-level blocks, um, had yeah. not been able to get, you know, and you have uh, your, your zone 
concepts you always want one of your double team blockers to get to the second level. That just that kind of thing just hasn't been happening. You haven't seen you haven't seen pulling guards or anything get to to, to where their, their men are. I mean, yeah, and that's just, and that's why I'm there's hesitant. just been so much that they've been unable to execute. And so I'm hesitant to give them too much of a pass for losing PJ Mustafer, even though he's an excellent player, for two reasons. One, again, you had the bye week. You've recruited plenty of talent that you should have been able to cover for him a little better. And second, because of the X's and O's of this particular game, Illinois is not running power up the middle all that much. It's not like they're double-teaming Mustafer's replacement and pushing him out of the way, and that was a big weakness. It's that they're running these stretches to the outside, and Penn State's linebackers are not scraping and getting to the ball carrier. Yeah, and they did. I mean... I, I don't want to say, like, oh, they did the thing I said they should do. It's because I was far from the only person making these observations. Of, well, yeah, they may, yeah. You know, I was far from the only person making these observations of, like, well, they really should have tested the edge in some of these situations where they didn't. I mean, they were giving Chase Brown the opportunity to get outside. They they were doing more creative things with the running game, and I think that they, they must have just had a real kind of come-to-Jesus moment with their offensive line over this bye week because – they did an awful lot better, but still, I mean, Penn State, much more talented, much more deep. Uh, really shocking that at no point were they really able to put the clamps on and stop them from eating huge portions of clock. Yeah, and you know, it's but so to circle back to that offensive line thing for a moment there, you mentioned, of course, that Bielema caught a lot of flack for some comments that pretty much everyone interpreted as, oh man, he's really just lighting his offensive lineman on fire. No, he was kind of speaking the truth. It's a literal truth. But what he said and, was... He fumbled his words a little bit, but sure. what he basically was saying was, hey, the guys that were here before me, basically all the guys they recruited to play offensive line from 2018 to 2020, they're all gone now. Yeah, and that's like, <laughs> there's nothing incorrect about that. So it, it was, to me, another example of national media types hunting for grievances. It reminded, you know what it reminded me of? You can probably guess what it reminds me of, guess. Oh, the, uh, the, the Michigan's the Tom Izzo thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of, oh, man, Tom Izzo shouldn't yell at Aaron Henry, and then he has the best game of his life in the next game. Yeah. Like, it, you know, his, I understand. Look, if there was an opportunity for me to pile on Brett Bielema prior to this one. Oh, you would have taken it. Yeah. You know, I would have taken it. I was pretty <laughs> mad. I was pretty mad about and, the way and just, he's gone. Justifiably so, because as you mentioned, if they approach a couple games differently, they could be 5-3 and three and 3-1 three and one in the conference right now. Having said... Um, this was the game I thought they maybe had the least chance to win out of the ones that they had left on the schedule. This arrival. Yeah, it's on paper the toughest opponent you have left, but so, it is true that you've got a wounded opponent in, and man. Beyond the decision with Clifford himself, that, that Franklin and his offensive staff didn't have one of the backups ready to play after a bye week, knowing that your quarterback was hurt, and seeing what your offense looked like without Clifford Well, and remember what Iowa. we said about it was that we just thought that maybe they just didn't prep Roberson with the ones, yeah. right? And that, that was something they'd surely get fixed in the bye week, knowing that Clifford's status might be up in the air, knowing that they can't go into a situation like this unprepared, knowing that they were going to have to play on the road in Columbus the following week, right. might have to get him in there. And it looks like they just said, nah, we're never going to have to play him again. Apparently so. So we, gave, we actually gave James Franklin and the Penn State staff way too much credit. Yeah. Oh, um, and it, I'm trying. I don't remember if I actually got this thought out or not because there's a like lot to cover here. But one of our new Penn State contributors, Mystery, has pointed out James Franklin has never lost a game at Penn State without immediately losing another one after it. Yeah, that is which is true. A, that's a great pull by him. That, and that perhaps, is, and it also is amazing how much it goes against what he claims his philosophy is. Yeah, which is oh, we're just. 
every game is Akron, right? <laughs> so. Yep. Yep. Oh no, it's the same as playing Akron. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's because if that's true, then your team ought to be able to get over a loss a little better then. Yeah. If especially with a bye week in the middle, because yeah. that's it's so, that other, is very damning. I mean, I would say one last note on this, but again, like this this well, game this game contains multitudes. And well, that's, no, because I mean, we haven't even gotten to the third aspect, which is all the shit that was just incredibly funny. For instance, three times in this game did somebody attempt a double reverse pass, right? <laughs> Illinois tried it twice with Casey Washington making the throws for some reason. Yeah. And in both cases, there was one where I thought, why didn't he throw that like a second sooner instead of tucking and running? And there was another one where I thought, why did he throw that at all? Yeah. Because well, he was lucky to not get picked off on both of them. And then the other one was in, I think, the third overtime... Uh, Penn State tried to throw back to Clifford. Who they, tried, was, looked at, they ran the Philly special. They ran the Philly special, but instead it looked like when the uh, Patriots ran it. Do you remember Tom Brady yeah. just out there by yeah. himself, just, oh no, my hands don't work. Because <laughs> the ball didn't hit him in the face mask. Um, yeah. I mean, the, la- the last thing here. And because of the way the game turned out, this this will easily be lost to the Santa time, and that's fine. But there was a sequence early in the fourth quarter that, had Illinois lost this game, would be the kind of thing that spawns conspiracy theories. Because twice on the same drive, Illinois had touchdown plays called back for extremely questionable penalties. And it was just, it was the kind of thing where it feels like, okay, so the refs just aren't going to let my team score, no matter what. That's how this game is going to go now. Yeah, because there was one where it was, in my opinion, a pretty light hold on the other side of the play. Um, yeah. Well, and then, you know, I mean, I'm not, you can never nitpick individual calls. For me, it's about the context of the game. I just want it to be consistent. For instance, you can't decide on that drive, we're going to call everything now. But then you let go a holding against Daniel Barker on what ended up being their last offensive play of that drive. I mean, the, the rules have to stay consistent throughout the game, but they certainly have to stay consistent throughout a drive. Right, and as you say, so like they they call three, because then (laughs) between the two calls that wiped out touchdowns, they called one on Penn State for defensive face mask, which it totally was. And then, as you say, they let go what probably would have been the weakest call of all of them, because there was some contact, yes, but it's also the kind of thing where if they throw that flag, it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But again, to be consistent with what they were then calling the game, like... We complain about this in basketball all the time, which is just, could you be the same from the first half to the second so we don't go from a free-flowing, entertaining basketball game to both teams in the double bonus with 12 minutes left? Like, can we at least get that? And we can't. Because as long as these conferences can get away with cutting corners and not paying full-time rest, that's what they're going to do, and the product is going to suffer for it, and we're still going to tune in because we're suckers. So that's, I mean, you have any final thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, near the end of the game, uh, just before that uh, that bizarre would-be game-tying drive that where Illinois decided the most prudent thing to do is to not let Art Sipkowski throw a pick-six here. And they were um, very correct. In order to set that up, they first had to field a punt where, of course, they Illinoised it. And yeah. Donnie Navarro <laughs> forgot about that. completely God. missed it. Um, Donnie Navarro's been remarkably consistent with the uh, punt returns, just... Not this time. And what ended up happening was a walk-on who, well, no, now a scholarship player, but a walk-on who earned his scholarship after living in his car for a bit uh, ended up 
you know, Johnny on the spot getting that ball and not running back into the end zone. Just uh, a, a, a phenomenal heads-up play to save a muffed punt that I thought, I mean, you know how I am with Illinois and muffed punts. It's Understandably so. And, you know, one more rules note we're on that point. I think you should be able to advance a muffed punt. I don't understand the rationale for that. I think the more crazy stuff that's allowed to happen, the better. That seems like a rule that's anti-fun, and so I hate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, another big problem for this game, and one that by the time this happened, I just wanted us to beat Penn State to punish them for ruining this, was Art Sitkowski uh, landed very, very awkwardly on his wrist yeah. in something that looked... Really, really bad. In like the sixth or sixth or seventh overtime, yeah. Um, and he did. Of course, after 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 just badly missing a wide open Jakari Norwood. Yeah, and it was a tricky throw. Don't get me wrong, but it's a throw. It's a throw that a Division One quarterback should be able to make. Well, the reason that he didn't make it is again because he makes every throw a step late. Had he thrown it as soon as he saw Norwood's man leaving to come and cover him, you know, easy throw and catch. Yeah, but instead he kind of waited until the guy was close enough to like block yeah, all the passes. Yeah, he wasn't lanes, sure yeah. if he could make it in, and then he just kind of you know, and and ended yeah. up. Uh, so the problem is that Sitkowski, who it looks like Brandon, I mean Brandon Peters was healthy, so they started Sitkowski over Peters, which means that would have happened for Illa Nutgers next week. Yeah, and now Sitkowski's status is in question, and I already made the logo, and it involves Art Sitkowski. So that's ultimately why you lost the game, Penn State, is because you ruined Illa Nutgers for me. <laughs> so good. Okay. Uh, and I'm, one more fun. Jeez. Okay. All right. Yet one more is okay. that comparisons online ask the question: uh, this game or six to four? When talking about worst Penn State losses. And the funniest thing is that nobody even mentioned the time that he lost to Tim Beckman <laughs> as his worst loss. Well, that was still... He, that, wasn't that his first year? Yeah, but he got outcoached by Tim Beckman. I mean, he did. He really did. He sure. refused to run the ball with Akeel Lynch just running dudes over yeah. on fourth and short. I mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, so what, what do you think? What would you rather watch, this game or 6-4? Gosh, um... At least this game, at least this game, it featured the Illinois running game, right? Yeah. And so, despite the, the low score and how long it went, I think this is probably still the the better, more entertaining game, and this is probably where we lose what's left of our Iowa listenership. Thank God. Well, uh, also so, the winning coach in this game <laughs> smiled after it. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, all right. I think at this point we have to move on. So, fortunately, there are a few other games where, well, you know, actually, there's a couple in here that there's going to be some detail on, but let's go through one that's going to be pretty quick. Northwestern 7, Michigan 33. Uh, This, however, was, I believe, a 10-7 game at halftime, or it might have, yeah, something like that. Well, Moon kept up for a bit. A while. It was was fairly persistent. It was looking like a possibility. Moon happened throughout the entire first quarter. Moon is also a dog who's in the corner of my room right now. And is you call my name. Yeah. Moon, you're way better as a dog than a football game. Yeah, scoreless first quarter. 
10-7 Michigan at halftime and then 23 nothing Wolverines after the break. So some weird so first of all the Michigan angle I think is easier here. Once again, they're not showing much in the passing game. Once again, their supporters and fanboys will justify this as oh, we're just not putting anything on tape. I don't know about that, man. I still think you want a little bit more in the way of rhythm. And I guess, look, in a game like this, do you really want your quarterback to throw it more than 27 times? No, but 27 attempts for 129 yards is probably not a passing game that's going to beat Michigan State. I'm not saying they can't do better than that, but they haven't shown the ability to in a competitive game situation. The well, times I mean, Cade McNamara, the thing is, Cade McNamara is kind of the quarterback that they need in order to win games because... Because remember, remember that Michigan is Iowa. Okay? And so they need a quarterback that's just not going to turn the ball over. And yeah, shit, I, I Michigan fans that. all think that Tom Brady is the best quarterback who's ever played the game. And that's literally the only thing he does well is he quarterback sneaks and he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions unless it's the playoffs. Right. That's his I, only strength. I you're you're out on a little bit more of an island on that take. Um, at some point. Point is though, Kate McNary even admits that no, he's his primary concern is not losing the game, which is something that for 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 Purdue is not what you want in a quarterback. But for a team that's got a strong defense that they believe in a lot and a running game that sure. they think is their foremost offensive identity. It's kind of the attitude that you really want the guy to have. Because and that's, uh, that's understandable at the beginning of the season or a month in when it's worked and you've won every game big. After you've played Rutgers and Nebraska and seen your running game be shut down for large stretches and then your offense is completely unable to do anything, it seems like something you might want to change your approach to if you have big goals, which at number 6 and 7-0 in the country, you really ought to have big goals right now. But they're not playing like it. And it's hard to be mad about a you know a twenty six four score victory here, but we'll see we'll see if this ends up biting them. I mean, I don't think they're beating Michigan State if they're not throwing the ball for bigger plays. And it's well, not to say they can't, but they haven't. The thing is, at the end of the day, they won by four scores, and seven years ago, they were coached by Brady Hoke. So where would you rather be now? <laughs> okay, look, true, no question. Even with Brady Hoke's career renaissance. Got my Gettysburg reference in there. From the Northwestern perspective, I I don't know that it would have made a difference. I think the talent difference here was too much for them to overcome. But I didn't really understand the game plan here. They had some success on the ground when they ran it. And they also hit a couple of chunk plays through the air. And so their offensive game plan centered around short passes that Helensky is kind of not that great at because he misplaces the ball too frequently for those plays to work. Opening drive of the game. They complete like a about a 30-yard pass, I think, down the field. And then after that, run for short gain, pass for short loss, incompletion, punt. And that latter, latter sequence was what they did with most of their offensive plays. So because they're not running the ball productively, they're not hanging on to the ball. They're not taking as many shots downfield as you should because I still think the corners on this Michigan defense are vulnerable, and that's why I feel pretty good about this weekend's matchup. Hold on. Evan Hull had a 75-yard run, and yet he finished with six carries for 81 yards? Yeah. Which means that he got he got six yards on his other five carries? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
still better than Helinski throwing yep. for sub 50% completions for what, four or five yards? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a big so, outlier. It's, uh, no, I get that. Yeah, I get, that it, drags, I get that it drags numbers up, but in six attempts, like you're, you're yeah. confident that he's going to break a couple of longer runs if he's given the opportunity. I do think it has to be said that this Northwestern offensive line is not going to get much better. Um, I don't think they have a better option at quarterback. Unless and until Andrew Marty's healthy, but uh, I don't... Yep, yep, they've got him in one of those Dragon Ball Z healing tanks. That's gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna come up in just about a month. He'll be ready. <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, I can't wait for Marty Ball. So, I don't think there's much else to say about that game, though. I there was probably, like I said, there's probably no Northwestern game script that's going to result in a win here, and I understand why in a four-score win. It's it's a lesser complaint for Michigan, but given what you've seen from Ohio State now, is there? A, do you think that if Michigan plays with this kind of game script, they're going to have a chance of beating Ohio State? No, but I also think that if they find themselves uh, if they find themselves tied to trailing late, that they will change the game script. I don't think they were compelled to here. I don't think they were really compelled to against Rutgers because it never they, Rutgers never tied it up. I, I don't think that they've ever really been compelled to and needed to do this to win. Now, have they been compelled to and needed to do this to look better, win more commandingly? Maybe, but man, a win's a win's a win. We mm-hmm. thought Jim Harbaugh would be fighting for his job at this point. Yeah, it's true. Look, there's no, there's no getting around the fact that they played vastly better than expected. He's a value investment now that he, you know what, maybe that was it. Maybe it's just that his inflated salary um, kind of shut down the uh, the Sigma male grind set in his brain, right? Okay. So now he realizes he's got to he's got to hustle every day. He's got to grind. He's got to oh, got to he's got to you know rise and grind. Get this bread, you know. Now that he's not making as much as he was before, yeah, he's I'm got sure. That for him. I'm sure he's living paycheck to paycheck at this point, merely making $5 million a year or whatever it is. Um, Sigma male trillionaire grind set is what's researched in Harlow's brain. I'm sure he's going to be eager to tell us all about the importance of having an LLC. Um, Well, look, if he wins next week, then he will evolve beyond a Sigma male and into a Ligma male. I'm not... I'm not biting. I'm not taking that. Yeah. And, well, and the other thing is, you better not be biting. If he, are you done? If, if he does win next week, maybe I don't have to hear any more Mel Tucker to LSU bullshit because that's not going to happen. Um, so, not much else to say about that one. Next one, I actually have a surprising amount to say about considering the teams involved and that the box score kind of tells the whole story. Maryland 16, Minnesota 34. Let's start on the Maryland side of this one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This probably would have been a more competitive game, but...
but there's a couple of recurring problems here. The first is that, especially since Demas went down, and I get that now they're short Jashawn Jones as well, the receivers they've got left are dropping balls at critical moments. They're tight end. Conquo had a big drop. Um, oh, who the hell was the other guy? I don't remember. They, but Talking about Jared? Not the guy I'm thinking of. I know that he, but they had receivers dropping passes in critical moments in this game. Their offense does not operate at a good enough margin to have that kind of mistake. And the other thing is, I just, so from a coaching perspective here, they remain a massively undisciplined team. I think eight penalties for about 80 yards in this game. And then the frequency with which their guys look around for flags in just in disbelief after unsuccessful plays. I get that that happens on pretty much every incomplete pass. The receiver's looking for a flag. It just feels like it happens more often with them. I don't, maybe it's nothing. It, it shouldn't be news by now that you're not getting calls on the road in this league, though. And then the other thing, sort of a big picture note here, and I think I believe our own DJ Carver pointed this out in the Slack early on. He was not able to watch the games, kind of popping in and out. But he made some comments on basically their alignments versus certain run fronts. And yeah, I noticed as well. For example, one sticks out to me. The last play of the third quarter, Maryland's already trailing. Minnesota's rolling downhill like a ball of knives on the ground. Maryland has six guys in the box on second and eight. <laughs> uh what the hell did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, Minnesota doesn't want to throw it. Their run game is doing gangbusters. Even down their top two running backs, they're still obviously going to try to run the ball as much as they possibly can. You just keep giving them room. And you're throwing a six-man box on a standard down. I mean, like, I mean, what, are you, what are you doing? Chris Ottman Bell had four receptions for 35 yards. Point being, you, you didn't make them go to him. No, they didn't have to. They Because Maryland's running so... And, Look, I get, like, Brandon Jennings is hurt, and it's a big loss. He's a freshman linebacker. you got to have more depth than that at this point in your program. I get that it's year three and COVID dropped in right in the middle of their development curve. Hasn't bothered Shiano or Tucker the same way. Those two guys, I mean, I don't think Rutgers is as talented of a, a team as Maryland yet, but is it not easy? To, like, who in the East right now would you say is in a worse position than Maryland is in terms of where their program is in its arc? Is there anybody? The only reason that I say Maryland is because it's not clear what the upside is. With with Indiana, you've you you've seen it. You saw the last couple of years they did pretty well. They're they're in a down. I mean, this year does raise a lot of questions for me about how well Tom Allen can sustain it. But the point is, you see what he's been able to achieve. You can you know, and he can point to that with Rutgers. You've got Chiano's pedigree. You've got just how much he elevated the exact same recruits. Yeah, exact how, quick, same right. talent how quickly they went from a complete from a complete clown show to at least looking competent, if not. So talented. what he can say pretty credibly is, "Look, man, these coaches will put you in the best situation to win." What's Maryland really going for here? Like that's that's what's not been clear is what the upside is. Yeah, they've got some opportunities, but when I say some opportunities, I mean they've got two games they have to win. They have to beat Indiana, and they have to beat Rutgers because I do not think they're going to win any of their other games. Yeah, and so as you mentioned, they're not they're they after that four and zero start, still on four wins as we approach the end of October. Remaining schedule, they have Indiana at home next week, then Penn State. That's more of a game that could be up in the air, and then they go to Michigan State, host Michigan, and go to Rutgers. The end it of the certainly they need, seems they need like two Penn State could be up in the air, but 
I mean, you, you've seen their offense come in with a critical weakness. People have been able to exploit it. Will Maryland do it? I mean, <laughs> you just saw them against an offense that's got kind of a that's yeah. kind of one-dimensional, and they didn't. Or did they, yeah, they, or they against, didn't uh, stack up to stop the run there. Right, or against Penn State with an injured quarterback, do they continue to you know drop deep safeties and play dime packages like that? that would so yeah, uh, I mean Penn State at home could be gettable. Um, I certainly think that against Indiana at home and at Rutgers are by far their biggest. I don't think there's a chance in hell they beat Michigan State on the road no, or home against Michigan. Those are sure losses, and you know it's hard to really hold losses to Iowa and Ohio State, uh, you know, as indictments of sure, Mike Oxley. Sure, but, but losing to a Maryland team that theoretically is around where you should yeah, be in the Yeah, this Minnesota loss is a bit more concerning. Because if you don't really get to a bull here, then it's really hard to see Mike Loxley kind of pulling out. I mean, because the one thing, usually what you have working for you when you're in a dive is that your airspeed is at the very least increasing, right? <laughs> so that means, in theory, that's more control if you can actually get your get the air to your control surfaces. But, yeah, but at a certain so... point, you lose altitude. And if you lose too much altitude, there's nothing you can do to recover. And to translate that to a win-loss record, this loss drops him to 10-20 and 20 overall as Maryland coach now. And... It's true that Loxley has raised the talent level there, but there's got to be some goals at some point. And look, towards the end of the game, the broadcast was trying to be charitable and put some lipstick on this pig, basically, and threw some kind of generalized praise in the direction of, oh, he's building the culture. You know what their culture was against Minnesota yesterday? Five personal foul penalties that were accepted. Ouch. Including two blocking the backs on a punt return that otherwise might have gotten them back in the game. And, and does That's this not brutal? And so you does got the, 22 minutes time of possession, uh, losing the turnover battle, yet outgained by uh, nearly 200. And does that not line up with 79 yards our, rushing to 326? This lines up with what we expected when they hired Loxley. We were like, okay, yeah, they're going to be really talented but they're going to misuse their talent, and they're going to be really undisciplined. And here we are, well into year three, and that's what's happened. And, you know, it might sound like we've been rooting for him to fail. Frankly, I'd love to see him succeed because I like when a variety of approaches can be successful. I don't yeah. Well, I don't like the, this idea that there's exactly one way that you can do it, right? And, and I have nothing against the guy. I mean, he's, he's yeah. persona. He doesn't mean anything to me. Hey, he, he was the offensive coordinator on the last good Illinois football team 14 years ago. You know what I disliked about this hire from the beginning is that it was uncreative thinking. Because it's a guy who has, like, oh, you're bringing the guy who's going to be the local recruiter, who's got That's a track a great record. That's guy to hire as yeah. your offensive coordinator. Yeah, or as, a guy, or as a position coach who only recruits. Yeah, um, that, that's... And speaking of, by the way, to, to put a bow on this before we turn to the Minnesota angle here, we talked about the tons of talent angle. And they've got a lot of that talent on campus now, which is a good thing. Because right now, the 22 recruiting class is 13th in the conference, Oof. 55th nationally, and part of that is that's going to be small. They only have, I think, 11 guys committed. And I don't know what their scholarship matrix situation is. Who can know that anymore, by the way? But, but the thing is, if they're that low in the Big Ten with still 11 guys, I mean, because it's still somewhat early, uh, yeah. then that means that they don't have any groundbreaking recruits, right? They don't have a Rakeem Jarrett, do they? No. I, I think they only have a couple of guys who are even blue chips. So... 
There's so, no, there's not more help on the way, and it's so it's true that it's true that all got to, yeah. gotta, gotta win two more games. You've got to make a bowl here. Yeah, because you just can't afford to miss a bowl game. This the hope, year. the hope here, yeah, is that you've got all the talent you're going to have in the near future on campus. Now, a lot of those young guys are playing. Those practices and that extra game could be extremely valuable. And that, I know that that angle is like every TV broadcast that covers a team that's out of the conference race or out of the national playoff picture says, well, man, you know, going to a bowl really means a lot to these kids, these coaches. I don't know if most of them care much, but those extra practices are helpful. They really are. So, well, no, I, I they, you say that coming from a Michigan State perspective, Maryland doesn't make bowls all the time. Illinois doesn't make bowls all the time. It means something when you make a bowl at a school that just doesn't, you know, you look over there and, and, and the section where they got the bowls listed is really fucking small. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. Nobody was on camp. Nobody played in the 2014 and the 2019 bowls for Illinois. There's nobody that did that. Maryland's last bowl game was uh, what? They they get to one in 2018? No, they didn't because that was the one where they would have if they beaten Dwayne Haskins Ohio State and they almost did. I mean, point is, it does mean a lot if it's just not something that happens all the time. Yeah. And it means a lot when it's the first time a coach has gone to a bowl game. That's true. But, so, yeah. I... On the other side, uh, Minnesota is 5-2, and two, and they are currently tied with Iowa for first place in the Big Ten West. And none of the games between Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin have happened yet. So nope. between Iowa's loss last week and now Purdue turning around and being like, yeah, no, thank you, we're not going to participate in the race this year, um, we've suddenly got the triangle of hate because Nebraska is thoroughly out of the picture. Um as the front runners and how they do against each other determines everything. So, well, hold on here. Purdue has the same conference record as Wisconsin. So if Wisconsin's got anything to say about it, so does Purdue. But Purdue also has the head-to-head loss to one of these teams that I was talking about. That's what I was referring to. Actually, to two of these teams, yes. Yeah. Is because, and because of that, it's, diff- it's more difficult to envision. So if they beat up on each other, then there could be a weird-ass quadrangle. And then... All, and, and then as many damaging losses as happened last week in the last week of the season as is possible, and Illinois wins it at like five and four conference record. <laughs> okay, I guess uh, we can go with that. Yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's very possible. Um, before we get into a little bit of praise for Fleck here and, can, and keeping this run game going, I have to say this because I asked you during this, this game: has has the pre half clock management thing? Is that like a new thing where it's a problem like every week and it jumps out like a sore thumb or like a huge visible like siren in the sky? Or is it just because of the attention you called to it when Bielema did it that now I'm looking for this and it's more visible? Well, it might also be longer than that because the most famous one from recently is Lovey Smith. We were content against Nebraska in the first half, just not even trying um, Lovey Smith was the king. Okay, Brett Bielema has got nothing on him for for squandering the end of, of a first half. Well, but, that's all well and good, but keep in mind we are actually talking about Minnesota right now. But so that's, that's my point. Is like it's come on my radar a lot over the last few years, and I think that's why. So PJ Fleck handle. Here's the two minute situation we have. So Minnesota gets the ball after a pretty good punt. I think I don't even know if it was a punt or a kickoff. I don't remember, but. 
They get the ball deep in their own territory, like the 20 or 25. First play of the drive, they complete like a 20-plus yard pass. All of a sudden, with the where they are in the field and the time that's left, it is very possible to get into the end zone with the amount of time you have left. But instead, they call eight consecutive runs on the rest of the drive to drain the clock all the way down and basically just set themselves up for a field goal attempt as time expires. And then what happens? The field goal is blocked. And only because of a very lucky series of bounces did Maryland not pick it up and run it back for a game-tying touchdown as the first half came to a close. The home field crowd, which, by the way, was very sparse for what looked like a nice day in Minnesota, lustily booed. Good for them. I'm on board with that. And anyone who says you shouldn't boo a college team is full of it because college players are smart enough to know they're not booing the players. They're booing the chicken shit coach. Yep, exactly. Uh... So anyway, all that being said, I had to get that out because this 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 clock management thing is like it's it's like it, it seems like it's it, it seems like you're 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 playing you're playing whack a mole to a greater extent than than you thought you would every week. Except that every time you think that you processed it, actually now there's two more over here, and you realize that this thing goes all the way to the top. I'm pretty much like I'm starting to think there's no coach in the conference who won't do because we see like <laughs> Bielema did it, yeah. And I know Lovey Smith used to do it, but Mal Tucker's done this. We've now seen PJ Shiano's done it. Like, it, uh, is there anybody in this conference well, who's going to prove is, that they know how to handle the end of a clock? It's comorbid with terminal NFL brain, and you look in the Big Ten. Oh yeah, but it's so weak as like. Okay, so again, I get it from like Tucker spent a decade coaching in the NFL. Shiano was in the NFL for a while unsuccessfully. PJ Fleck, what was he like, uh, an assistant coach for a year in the NFL or something? Like he shouldn't under be... Greg Shiano. Oh. Are okay. All right. You know what? We've identified that. So yep, Greg Shiano. Shiano. flows from Shiano. Shiano is patient zero <laughs> in this in this end of half brain worm that we've got at the cut. So all right. Anyway, I don't mean. Are make you that suggesting as, that Shiano then infected Lovey Smith because his, they had, all hey, of his germs were still in the Tampa Bay facility? Oh. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Wisconsin 30, Purdue 13. Oh, no, we're not done here. We're not done here. We're not done here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because, okay. like I said, I, it does have to be said, okay, that notwithstanding the fact that their game flow should have made it obvious that they were going to do nothing but run the ball, this is a situation where I don't necessarily blame. So the difference between Minnesota using this game plan and Michigan using it is I don't know that there's a better approach for Minnesota to take because yeah. other than throw, you know, getting Chris Hoffman Bellmore involved, what other compelling options do they have? Whereas Michigan, I get that Ronnie Bell is hurt, but you got Roman Wilson back. You still have AJ Henning, Cornelius Johnson, Eric All, tight end who can supposedly catch the ball. Like they've got lots of options who we know can be good. That Minnesota takes this kind of game plan makes more sense given their strength because their offensive lines run blocking is really good. I get that Michigan's is too. Um, but yeah, credit has to be given here because even after losing Mo Ibrahim early with the injury, Trey Potts to the medical issue, they've now had their fourth and fifth running backs of the season have 100-yard games, uh, as Kai Thomas and Bucko Irving, by the way, awesome new nickname Bucko. that I was not previously aware Listen of. Listen here, Bucko. How many times do you think, so I wonder if that's a nickname he had also in high school, and I just you know picture him as like the the preternaturally talented but surly teenager who is coach is just like bucko like yeah listen here bucko you're gonna run laps until and he just runs laps endlessly and never gets tired 
and they can't discipline him because he's just physically invincible to their punishments and stuff. So, yeah, like, anyway. Well, what I wonder is if, if he has any playing history with that defensive back from Arkansas. Listen here, Buster Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk, again, talk about a name that makes you impervious to... Being talked to, down to, to, to by ang- Midwestern yeah, adults. To angry coaches from boomers, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the last thing we would say about Minnesota here is that the conference loss they have to Ohio State is cross-divisional. And with nobody in the West running the table, again, this round-robin amongst Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin is almost certainly going to decide the divisional champ. Or... Maybe one of them hilariously trips over Northwestern. That would be funny to me, too. So, yeah, now we will move on to Wisconsin and Purdue. Badgers 30 and Boilermakers 13. And here, so this game started before the Illinois-Penn State game was over. And by the time I flipped over to it, it was close to the end of the first half. And each team had already turned it over twice by that point. And it just made me think of the Omni-Man meme where, like, this game is the jet fighter approaching in the distance, and I picture like Bielma's face transposed over Omni Man. He's like, Look what they need to mimic a fraction of our sicko. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's an interesting so thing I found interesting. Uh, do you know who's got the least points allowed in conference games in the Big Ten overall? I'm going to guess Wisconsin. No, it's actually Penn State at 53. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, Penn State has a very... Penn State's got... Uh, advanced stats say Penn State's defense is top 10. Uh, but I, we'll see what they look like after this week's update. Tied at second with... No, 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 that's after this weekend. Hmm. For Okay. Well, the SP Plus isn't, but the, the points allowed is. All right. Fifth, at 53, they're by far the, the fewest. But tied at second with 66 points allowed is the Purdue Bo- are the Purdue Boilermakers. I believe it. I believe it. Wisconsin has a... Well, oh, oops. That's third. Iowa's allowed 64. Sorry, Iowa people. You can uncancel us now. <laughs> I thought you people were against cancel culture. Yeah, so I was told. As far as this game goes, though, talk about knowing who you are. In, in the first half, Purdue ran the ball outside of the sacks that O'Connell took three times in the first half for a total of three yards. So understandable why they weren't really leaning on that in the game script. Even though in the first half they threw two interceptions and only had about a little more than seven yards per completion. And then on the other side of the ledger, Wisconsin only threw it six times before halftime. And then in the third quarter, they went 0 for 2 on passes. So of Wisconsin's 35 plays in the first half, um, they gave the ball to Malusi 19. And that's when he's going for about three and a half yards a carry. So I guess... You're going to have to give some credit, I guess, to Paul Chris for sticking with the only thing that could plausibly work because as the game went on, Purdue's defense did obviously wear down. And Malusi, and especially Braylon Allen, has a little bit more of a big play potential. They started breaking off the longer runs. Allen ended up with a 70-yarder. And those long runs are going to drag up Wisconsin's average. But look, for a while, Purdue's defense hung in. And then, kind of like as we saw in the Notre Dame game, they ground down towards the end there's still a depth problem here and this is i think this is the third time this year that purdue has ended up at 13 points now one of them was a win over illinois but for an offensive-minded head coach who has david bell this is a problem 
This is a consistent problem. And this wasn't the... I don't, it, was it raining in this game? I don't think this was even a bad weather game. So, um, I've mentioned, of course, uh, third in the conference was 66 points allowed in conference games. Yeah. It was just in conference games. Sure. But also in conference games, they've scored 63 points, which is less than 66, and also a problem. Yeah. Um, and it comes back to... It's That's something, an average of just under 16 points a game. Yeah, and this is something that we commented on earlier in the season, which is that the level of play from this offensive line is frankly not good enough to win consistently in the Big Ten. That's all there is to it. They might have the occasional game where they're able to scheme things up. You know, again, they had a masterful plan for Iowa, and so things worked then. But they are not consistently going to run the ball against the better run defenses that they face. This passing game is still fun to watch and interesting when it works, but O'Connell is a limited quarterback in that he will throw interceptions and he will take sacks, and that blows up a lot of drives. So even with the production they're capable of generating through the air, they're also very capable of you know racking up a lot of yards and not turning them into points because of those drive killing plays where yeah, it's I don't quite have stuff. that much uh, information on their their yards, but that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, of course, another big story for this game is uh, emerging Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year candidate, and which also is intersecting with uh, one of my wife's favorite player candidates only because his name is Chanel Number 5. <laughs> his name is yeah. Leo Chanel. He wears number 5. It's close enough. Uh, he you, had I mean, five and a half TFLs in this game. Three and a half sacks on nine total tackles. Yeah, but Purdue's, five and a half TFLs is... is, yeah. is I mean, that's, that's a pretty decent season. No, Purdue's offensive line had no answers for him. And that's, again... And Jack Sanborn also contributed, but Leo Chanel has been said his name a lot. Hey, those two again. It's this chain of linebackers that Wisconsin has produced. They're not only elite in college, but end up being really good in the NFL. Like those, those two guys are obvious second, third round type NFL draft choices to me. But I don't know. I mean, maybe the Lions are better draft another linebacker from Hawaii and see how that goes for them. Well, no. What they're going to do is they're going to draft uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and then hope that they have what he would call a, quote, great fucking team. <laughs> I don't know if you heard his interview, but uh, they just decided he gets the F-bomb pass because he's transcendent in all the world and also can't convince me that the Lions don't have a pretty decent stranglehold on that top overall pick. Oh, yeah, I don't know who they're beating this year. Um, I, like, they'll, they'll accidentally win a couple games because you almost can't. And it's a 17-game schedule now. It's harder by an or by a considerable margin to go under to go unwind unwind in the NFL than it has been in the past. So Wisconsin also uh, asked themselves the question, you know, earlier than Illinois did, of why aren't we running the ball all the time? Because our quarterback <laughs> is a liability. Graham Mertz got eight passing attempts. Yeah, and in a game that they won easily, and and ultimately, you know, I know Purdue was a court, sort of a trendy pick, but. If you're looking for anything like a betting uh, tip here, here's one of the easiest ones you can do, and that is take somebody that just got a massive upset, okay, because Purdue was hyped up a lot against Wisconsin. It was ranked Purdue against unranked Wisconsin, but who said that Wisconsin's not as bad as their record? Wasn't Wisconsin still a favorite on the road, though? <laughs> uh, probably. I don't think I made there, that there up. there was a reason. Yeah. And Purdue has now lost 15 straight to Wisconsin. Yeah, I haven't um, beat them since 2003. So when you've got a trend like that, I don't know. I just woke up too late to make my bets. 
Yeah, well, they, they haven't beat him since Jim Leonard was a player in this series. So. Yeah, yeah, so ultimately, uh, I mean, we, we kind of, I'm not going to lie, I kind of expected this. Um, I probably should have. And it, like, I, I don't even, I think I picked Purdue to win. I don't know why, looking back. Um, but I, I yeah. Because honestly, it should have been, it should have been an obvious result. Because you can't, and we've mentioned this before, but even guys like Nick Saban say, Look, you can't get college kids up for their for a maximum effort every week. If you're yeah. lucky, you get two of those games a year. Well, Purdue definitely used one against Iowa, and expecting that kind of A plus effort in back to back weeks is unrealistic. It's actually it reminds me of something that Jim Laranaga said. One of my favorite things I've heard a college coach say, which is that like, you know, you can't be expected to play up to your maximum potential, but what you'll always at least do is play down to how well you have the fundamentals executed, right? So that's a very coach speak thing to say, but there is yeah. truth there. <laughs> no, there's a lot. No, you can yeah. always count on your basic level of fundamentals as something to fall back on. So you can't really practice to get that maximum effort. That max. You can't practice to increase your ceiling. It's got to be of you know. You can practice to raise your floor though. Yep, that's basically what it is. A lot of um, similarities between this game and the Maryland Minnesota game here because you have two teams who. <laughs> I, whether by choice or by the reality of trying to lean on that passing game, do not have much going from the air, but were nonetheless able to dominate a conference opponent despite, again, anything from the passing game at all by grinding down opponents who could not run the ball themselves. It's Look, again, this is why a lot of coaches want to play this style in the Big Ten because it works, um, especially if your opponent can't run the ball themselves. So we've been at this a while. But don't have a whole hell of a lot to say about this last game. Yeah, this won't be quick. Ohio State, State 54, 54, Indiana 7. Um, Ohio score. State's good and Indiana is not. I mean, well, I still. I wish that it were more complicated than that. I wish it were more complicated than that. In spite of everything, I still have some belief in Indiana's ability to turn this around. And I know at 2 and 5, with a trip remaining to Michigan, that's not a great position to be staking yourself to right now. And they have they have to sort out their offense to some extent here because they scored to tie it up at seven late in the first quarter and did virtually I don't like totals and did virtually nothing off. That's right. I mean, un- unless and until they get Michael Penix back at something resembling his old self, this offense is gonna be bad. And it wasn't great with him. And they clearly didn't believe that they. I mean, who was this third string guy that they seem to have just been saving? This freshman Donovan McCauley. Donovan McCauley, yes. It's look, it's a true freshman, a dual threat guy, one of the guys who you can already hear the analysis, right? Oh, he's super raw, but lots of potential. Like <laughs> he's not the kind of guy who's gonna help you stay in the game with Ohio State. So we'll so we'll continue with the Indiana angle for a second here. As we mentioned, they still have a trip to Michigan, but other than that, their remaining games at Maryland, Rutgers, Minnesota, both at home, and at Purdue. They need four of those games to make a bowl. That feels like the only way for this program to get its mojo back and kind of salvage this. Well, in Maryland, Indiana is one hell of an important game for both of these coaches. This is really yeah. a must. win. I mean, I don't think it's a must win for Tom Allen's like legacy or whatever, but but for this season, yeah, they don't win that game. This season's over. Yeah, and here's the other thing. Even though some of those games look winnable on paper, this offense has put up 28 total points in yeah. four Big Ten games. That was so the far. other jarring thing I saw when I looked up points there. That's uh... And, that's, again, 15 of those were against Michigan State, which is 
a defense comparable to these others. That's 18 so, less than Rutgers. Yeah. That's literally half of Northwestern. Right. So, as for Ohio State, I mean, you want to hear a lot of Ohio State talk, just turn on ESPN at any given time. I will, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I thought was notable in this game is that... an entire media empire built around saying things to your fans. It's already an extremely potent passing attack. Travion Henderson was already looking perfectly capable of carrying the load on the ground. And now... They returned Mayan Williams to the fold after he was out with a concussion for a couple weeks. So now they have two freshman eligibility running backs who are going to shove Master T, who's run for like 2,500 yards in his career, into the transfer portal. So if you need a running back, this is good news for you because you can pick up Teague. Um, But yeah, there's nowhere to hide statistically in this game. I mean, OSU did what has kind of been a little bit of a pattern with Ryan Day, which is in the first quarter... They're kind of they're they're doing the Terminator vision thing. They're analyzing what you're doing. Yeah, they, they might score a touchdown or ten points in the first quarter. They, you might be in a game with them, and then second quarter comes and they just they call an orbital bombardment and it's just game over, thirty to nothing in the second quarter. See, I'm game. glad that you compared it to that because I was thinking more along the lines of uh, Kenshiro from Hokuto no Ken, and that is way cooler than Terminator. So. No, you definitely don't want to compare Ohio State to uh, to you know to, to, to homeboy not really wanting to fight and just absorbing some moves and then coming up with a with with, with some kind of move and then doing the uh, you are already dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's way too cool an analogy for Ohio State. You don't get Nani. that. Nani. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So the real question here is: Does the West Division champ who Ohio State? dog walks in the conference championship game still get the Rose Bowl even if they're like a two or three loss team or does Ohio State obviously going into playoff open the door for the winner of Michigan Michigan State to get to the Rose Bowl despite not playing in Indianapolis I am very excited for this possibility don't care had Rose Bowl Source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.